Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Hey, welcome to City Bridge. My name is David. And we are so glad that you're here. I serve as a teaching pastor here. We're in the middle of a series called In Living Color. Now, In Living Color was a TV show in the early 90s that didn't last very long, but it, before that was an expression that was introduced along the same time that color television was introduced. And to see something that formerly was black and white on a screen in, as television became in color was to be called In Living Color. Color. And so each week we have gone through and each interaction that we look at that Jesus has as we attempt to see him more in living color, more accurately as he is, we have named something else also you would watch on a screen. So we had, you know, Walking Dead, we've had a walk to remember this morning, this message would be titled Stranger Things, and it'll make sense why I say that here in a second. Now I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be in, which is primarily Matthew chapter 8. And uh, I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 5 to give some context and then pray and we will dive in. So it says this, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them. He launches into Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon in human history. It's an amazing, incredible sermon. And at the end of the sermon, Jesus has an exchange that we're going to focus most of our time on today. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, Jesus. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy was clean, cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help us to see more of Jesus in our daily lives and certainly in the next few moments that we share together, but just in all of life, we're told that in seeing Jesus more as he is, we're transformed more to look like him. So God, would you use this time right now for that to be the case? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone know what this is right here? Not a satellite, close. Hubble telescope. It is the Hubble telescope. Now the Hubble telescope was launched into space in the Clinton administration in the early 90s. It was over a billion dollars to create, which in the early 90s, just like today, is still a lot of money, but certainly was in the early 90s. And it was launched into space with the hope that we will finally, or for the first time, be able to get images sent back to Earth that accurately show us our world and the galaxy around us. We'll be able to see what's out there and also see our world more clearly and accurately as it is. So they got the first images back as they launched it into space and there was a problem. All of the images were blurry. Someone had failed to rightly calibrate the lenses 
on the Hubble telescope. Now, that's a bad day for somebody at the office. It's like, Clark, you had one job, and they now have a problem. What do we do? And to bring it back to Earth, and we'll fix it and calibrate it here, it would have risked damaging it to re-enter into the atmosphere. So that wasn't an option. Well, we could launch another one, but that's a billion dollars. That's not a good investment or good option. And then somebody had the idea. What if we create giant contact lenses and we go out to space and have astronauts attach them on the outside of the Hubble telescope? They thought it was worth a shot, and so they did just that. They created these lenses and they sent astronauts off and they attached on the outside of Hubble's telescope his own contact lenses. And they got back the images and they were breathtaking. And it worked. That they were able to see, in fact, some of the images that we still have today of our world of the galaxy were captured by the Hubble telescope now that it was able to clearly put into focus and allow us to see our world as it really is, to see the galaxy as it actually is. Now, what does that have to do with this morning? Well, one of the things that Jesus and his ministry on the planet, his teaching that he did, but also himself in general was accomplishing on the planet was helping bring into focus or clarify and give a right perspective to humanity on what God is really like. That Jesus' whole ministry, so to speak, was putting spiritual contact lenses onto people who had a flawed, inaccurate vision of God and helping them see more clearly what God is really like. And this morning, we're going to look at an exchange because really on the Sermon on the Mount and this exchange with this man, we're introduced into a accurate perspective on what God is like and also what sin is like and how you and I can have a relationship with God. So we're going to journey through and see some real parallels in this leper and the disease that infected him and how sin is a parallel. Scholars have long identified how leprosy is a parallel to spiritually speaking what happens in the human heart or has happened in the human heart. And we're also going to see a parallel to the cure he experienced and how we can access in a very similar way the cure this man had and journey back through. So we're going to go slower through these three ideas and look at this man's story and read slower through Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have Bibles in the Welcome Center we'd love to give you as a gift, but either way it'll be up here on the screen. So let me read it back through as we look through this man. When he came down from the mountain. Great crowds are following him. He just taught the Sermon on the Mount, and now this huge crowd is following Jesus as he walks down. And behold, a leper came to him, and he knelt before him, falls to his knees, says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, let me try to capture some of the emotion of this moment for the audience and when Jesus actually experienced it. Because when we hear leprosy, you know, my guess is none of us this week bumped into somebody that has leprosy. But in that day and age, leprosy was a life-defining disease. There was no known cure for it. And the moment it showed up on a person's skin, which is where the first outside or external place that you would see it, their life would never be the same. Life as they'd known it would forever be life as they had known it. I say that because God had commanded, because of how contagious leprosy was, that if you contracted the disease, you were to move outside of the camp and you were to live alone or live with other lepers for the rest of your life. In other words, the moment that showed up on your skin, it was a death sentence. You had hugged your wife for the last time. You had hugged or kissed your children for the last time. Going to work and whatever you did would no longer be the case or would no longer look like it had. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 13, 
which if you just want a real light and encouraging read this week, camp out on skin diseases in Leviticus 13, but it says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear, wear torn clothes. Let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out everywhere he goes, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. The, the scripture just said, the person who contracts the disease is to rip their clothes, let their hair hang loose, look like Zach Galifianakis walking around and crying out, unclean, unclean, stay away. In fact, rabbinical teaching was that you had to stay at a minimum 16 feet away or you risk being stoned because you would spread the disease to other people. It's a tragic reality he was living in, but it's also a parallel reality to the one that every person is living in because leprosy, as I said, scholars have long identified is a biblical picture of the effect of sin in your life and in my life. And I'll explain what I mean by that. But the first idea I want to focus on from this man's story is how it relates to our story, that the curse that infected him was leprosy, but the curse that infects us is sin, that we, like the leper, don't have spots on the outside, but certainly we're born with spots, so to speak, at the soul level. And there's really a, a few ways, there's a number of them, but parallels to how the curse of leprosy, parallels to the curse of sin in your life and in my life. For example, leprosy affects a person from the inside out, just like sin impacts a person from the inside out. In other words, most people think of leprosy and they think it's just a skin rash that will show up. That's not the case. The way leprosy works is it attacks the central nervous system which inhibits your ability to feel. In other words, the reason why you would see lepers that have lost fingers or limbs or have hands that have fallen off was not because leprosy was eroding the skin. It's because it detached their ability to feel by attacking the central nervous system. So they would touch a burning stove and they wouldn't feel anything. They would cut their foot walking somewhere and they wouldn't feel that it got infected in gangrene. That it works from the inside out. Same is true with sin, that in your life and in my life, which is why the Bible calls it a sin nature. It comes from the inside. Sin nature is in it comes naturally. Things like greed, lust, anger, jealousy, all of these things that come from the inside. You, you don't have to work at them. In other words, you have never heard, and I've never heard, the person whose New Year's resolution is, you know what I'm working on this year? I'm trying to be a little bit more greedy. Just doesn't really come naturally to me. You know what I'm working on this year? I'm trying to lust more around, about the people around me. Why? Because it comes naturally. Because sin, just like leprosy, it works from the inside out. It comes from within. Another parallel to how the disease that infects us is similar to that of leprosy is that just like leprosy, sin is isolating. Leprosy would isolate someone from other people and isolate them from God. They couldn't go to temple with the disease. It would cut them off relationally from other people. They'd have to move outside of their old living relationships and it isolated them from other people. And the same is true as it relates to sin in your life and in my life. That sin erodes relationships. That gossip will inhibit a relationship or holding on to bitterness will inhibit intimacy. I mean, the biggest relational barrier in your marriage, if you're married, between you and your spouse, you know what it is? Your in-laws. No, I'm totally kidding. It's sin. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. And my in-laws are amazing, for the record, in case any of this is online. But it's sin. 
That thing that makes you want to justify what you did and how you're not going to apologize or you're not going to move towards your spouse, that, that's called sin. Because sin does what leprosy does. It isolates. It creates barriers within relationships. A third example of how sin works itself out like leprosy did is that it's desensitizing. Leprosy would desensitize, as I said, your ability to feel things. And as it did so, it would increasingly destroy the person. Sin operates in a very similar fashion, which is why the first time somebody loses their virginity, it's a huge deal. I can't believe I did that. And then they'll wake up three years later and they've given their sexuality over and over and over again to others. It was once a huge deal that first hangover in somebody's life all of a sudden becomes just Saturday. Sin is desensitizing. I remember reading Chris Rock talking about in a really honest way, and I don't know that Chris Rock has any relationship with God, but he was talking about his first marriage and he just said, my addiction to pornography grew and grew to the point that it destroyed my first marriage. I got to a place where I could no longer, I needed more and more pornography. I couldn't even have intimacy with my wife because of how much it had grown. That he had been desensitized. And as that desensitization happened, it increasingly brought destruction. It's what sin, just like leprosy, does. Leprosy also distorts your appearance. Leprosy would deform someone's external appearance. And the same is true with sin. I mean, there's a level at which sin, when you see in somebody else, which is always easier to do than in your own life, it's unattractive. Like things like pride, greed, lust. Like when you see them, I mean, I've never heard the girl who said, you know what I'm really looking for? A guy who's prideful. That's what I'm attracted to. I'm really looking for the person who's greedy. I'm looking for the person who's rude and doesn't treat me well. No, if anything, we see those, no matter how physically attractive, and we go, that's unattractive. Because sin, just like leprosy, distorts the external appearance. And finally, sin also, like leprosy, the more it grows, the more it destroys. The more it's fed, the more leprosy would grow and progress. And Luke tells us that this man had had leprosy for a long time. It is full. He was full of leprosy in Luke's account. And as it grew, it increasingly destroyed his life. The same is true with sin in your life, in my life. The the more it grows, the more destructive its potential and more destructive it is. In 2003, there was a man who showed up at a hospital in Harlem, New York. And the gentleman went in to to get treatment for a bite mark on his arm that he had claimed came from his pit bull. The doctor took him in and he's looking at him and he's stitching him up and he's seeing the bite wounds and he's thinking... That doesn't look like the bites of a pit bull, but that's, who would lie about that? That's such a bizarre thing. But the depth of the bite and just the size of it, it didn't seem to line up with a pit bull bite. And, but he fixed him up and sent him on his way, but he was so perplexed that there was a police officer at the hospital that he said, you should probably go check on him. They show up at the man's apartment in Harlem and NYPD, NYPD, no one responds. They knock again, no one responds. They're about to leave and they hear something from the other side of the door, but it wasn't a person. It was a deep, low growl to the point that they thought, yeah, whatever's in there, we're not going in today. (laughs) They go and get a warrant because of how alarmed that they were and they get permission to drill a hole in the apartment next door and they look inside and the first thing they see these claw marks from floor to ceiling on the wall. 
I mean, stuff like out of the Sandlot, the Beast moment kind of thing. And then they turn the camera, and this is what they see. A 400-pound tiger in the bathroom. This man had loved animals and always dreamed of having a zoo, and so he had illegally, Tiger King style, got a hold of a tiger cub that he that he raised and fed, and that tiger was no longer a cub and it continued to grow. It never went outside, which is why the neighbors claimed to smell urine all the time because there's no kitty litter box big enough for (laughs) a 400-pound tiger. What's funny is that across the street, there was a nursing home that on multiple occasions had called the police and said, there's a tiger in the window. (laughs) But because of who it was, they dismissed it like, Oh, I'm sure, Miss Susie. It's the tiger lady again. I'm sure. We'll send somebody right over there to get it checked out. And they never did. But this man, the way he'd gotten the bite marks is he loved loved animals, like I said. So he brought a stray cat that he had found home that day. And he found out that the tiger loved lunch. And he went after the animal. And he got in his way and just ripped apart his arm. That this thing that he had raised and cub that he had fed, as it grew, it also grew in its ability to destroy and eventually turned to destroy him. They had to send in the SWAT team to bring him out because the man was incapable, this cub that he had raised, of getting it and removing it from his home. And the same is true in a very real sense as it relates to sin. Like that pornography addiction, as it grows, it destroys marriages, as I mentioned with Chris Rock. Substance abuse is a way of coping. All of a sudden, it becomes all-consuming and a prison that sin, as it grows, just like leprosy, it grows also in its ability to destroy. We also see in this man a real parallel to the solution and accessing the solution that you and I have in Christ, a freedom and a solution for the problem of the sin that infects our heart and your heart and my heart and what he does. It says this, and the man came with leprosy and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now this moment, no doubt, that crowd, because Jesus, remember, there's a big crowd that's surrounding him, and this leper, who the penalty for getting that close to other people was stoning, throws himself at the feet of Jesus and says, God, I don't know if you will, but you can make me clean. You can give me my life back. You can let me go hug my kids again. You can let me back into society. You can change me, God. I mean, that crowd gasps as they see a man who potentially could infect all of them and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, and he's got to be thinking, man, I may, they may stone me for coming. I'm a dead man already if I don't get healed. And he also models for us, with those of us who in Christ and have a relationship with God, had to do in order to have a relationship with God, come to a place of recognizing, God, you alone can cure me. I'm incapable of conquering sin in my life. I'm incapable of earning a relationship with you, but you alone, you, God, can make me clean. You can conquer the infection that I have. I don't know if you will, but you can. And the man discovered, with those of us in Christ who surrender, and God said, man, I trust you. You alone. I'm incapable of saving myself. I'm incapable of defeating sin in my life, but you can. Discover that that is the case. The second thing we see that's a parallel with us is that Christ alone can cure us. Christ alone can cure us. Just like this man, Christ alone could cure. Now, Here's what's really interesting. The timing of this exchange. When did it happen? 
Remember, it was right after the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is an amazing message. I mean, it's beautiful, it's powerful, but it's also impossible. Why do I say that? I mean, Jesus, all the Sermon on the Mount, he's recalibrating and helping them bring into focus, hey, you can't earn your way to a relationship with God. He says things like, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you lust after someone who's not your spouse, you are an adulterer. I mean, talk about a feel-good message. He says, even to say, don't murder. But I tell you, if you hold on to bitterness and anger in your heart, you're a murderer. I mean, at one point, he looks over and there's some scribes and Pharisees, professional religious people in the crowd, and he says, unless your righteousness exceeds is greater than that of the scribes and Pharisees, professional religious people, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me try to put some teeth around that because most of us, you probably didn't bump into Pharisees this week and how his audience would have heard it. Like if I was to say, hey, if you want to join City Bridge and be a member of this church, you need to be good at basketball. She'd go, well, that's kind of random, but I mean, the question would be, well, how good? And if I said, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, they're not good enough. You'd go, what? Then no one's good enough. Bingo. It's as though it was the point he's driving home. And if all of that wasn't bad enough, at one point in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I did some studying for this message and I looked up the original Greek word for perfect. And here, it, you know what it means? It means perfect. <laughs> as in his audience would have inevitably concluded, if that is the standard, it's impossible. So that's the point. And Jesus is driving home that you and I can't do enough and you couldn't do enough and I couldn't do enough to earn a relationship with God. And then at the end of that sermon, he walks down and has an exchange with the literal physical embodiment of sin itself. And a man who is incapable of curing himself, just like his audience that just listened, was incapable of saving himself. And the man does what his audience, spiritually speaking, should have done at the message of, man, that's impossible. You alone could save me. The man throws himself at his feet. It is no coincidence or mistake that at the end of that message, the illustration, perfect illustration, is this man who models what those of us who in Christ have had to do, come to the end of ourselves. I cannot conquer the sin of my life, God, but you can. I cannot earn a relationship with you, God, but you have made a way through Jesus. It punctuates Christ alone can cure it. It's the point of this exchange, and it is the point of the Sermon on the Mount. You're incapable, and I am of healing ourselves. A few years ago, I was with my son, and every now and then, you know, to give mama a break, we would go out and do scootering with the kids, and I would get on a longboard, which I have no business being on, as we're about to see, and I would go race them. And as a dad, or parent in general, there's times where you're like, you kind of let your kids win. You're like, yeah, go get them. And then there's times where you're like, I got to put you back in your place. Okay, I got to still show you his boss. And this was one of those moments. And we're racing down this hill and I'm racing alongside of him and just about to just, you know, leave him in my dust. And he swipes his scooter over right into my longboard. And I go flying off the longboard and slam onto the pavement. 
And it was a level of, like there's a pain level that it's not even like cuss words come out because I'm a Christian, number one. But number two, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, you're, you just lose your breath so much. You're like, oh, okay, we're done. No longboarding, everybody back home. Everything's fine, just get in the house. And this is that moment, my hand, I go home and it just blows up. It looked like a latex glove if you just filled it with air. And I go the next day and we were at church and there was a doctor friend that was there and I was like, hey, do you mind looking at my hand? Which at that point, it didn't take a doctor to know, okay, there's something wrong with your hand. She was like, you, you need to go get that looked at. I go get it looked at, they do an x-ray, come back. And they say, you, you fractured your hand. You need to have surgery this week. And I'm just like, not, I don't know anybody that is, but like, you know, surgery is not my go-to if I can avoid that. And so I'm like, okay, sir, okay, that's one option. What are our other options we could explore? She's like, there's no other option. I was like, well, wouldn't it heal on its own? Like bones heal on their own. She's like, no, it'll heal incorrectly. It'll continue to cause pain and problems and be deformed. You cannot heal this on your own. And what that man discovered and what the crowd hopefully heard was that you cannot heal yourself on your own. You, spiritually speaking, can are no match for sin, but there is one who is a cure, who can conquer in your life, and the sin that's eroding your marriage. There's no marriage story or no relationship or no prodigal that God cannot conquer and bring life and resurrect. It's what he does. He's in the business of writing and rewriting stories. But that doesn't happen on our own. But when we reach the point of saying, God, you can, you can change this. You can heal this. I can't do this, but you can do this. Will you help me? And this leper was just in that spot, and he discovers something really interesting that when you and I see Jesus in living color, we also get to discover, and that's the compassion of Jesus towards sick, broken, and sinful people. Here's why I say that. It says, Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. Everyone else is gasping and backing up. Jesus reaches and says, I'm willing. Be clean. The third idea we see from the text is the compassion of Christ towards this man. But we also see Christ's compassion towards us. We know in Mark's account of this version, it's Christ's compassion that leads him to heal and moves him to stretch out his hand and touch this man. In Mark chapter 1 verse 41, it says, moved with pity. It's the same story. Moved with pity or moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him. But we also see the compassion of Christ in how he heals this man. It says, he stretches out his hand and he touched him. How long had it been since this man had had any physical touch. I mean, Luke's account tells us he was full of it. It had spread. It had been years, maybe decades, that he had not had any human physical touch, which on the back end of COVID, many studies have even come out and said, there's something that happens psychologically that is incredibly detrimental to people when they go for extended periods of time without physical touch. How long had it been? And the Greek word that's used is the Greek word hapto, it's to seize, that he goes from not ever having physical touch to now the son of God is holding his shoulders. The question would be, well, why did he touch him? The conclusion may be, well, he had to, to heal him. <clears throat> Incorrect. Why do I say that? Because the very next story 
in the book of Matthew, Jesus heals someone with just a word. This is Matthew chapter eight, verse five, which we were just in Matthew chapter eight, verse four. Five comes after four. Very next story. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward appealing to him, Lord, my servant is paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, go, let it be done as you have believed. That the very next story, he heals with just a word. He doesn't touch because he has to. He's a God who touches because he wants to. That he moves towards this man, despite the sickness, despite his incapableness of healing himself, and he reaches out and holds him and says, I will. And he's a God that's not repulsed, just like this man, by his leprosy, but by your sin and by your shame and by your brokenness in your life any more than he is in any of our lives. That he's a God who moves towards the leper and reaches out and touches him just because he wants to. And that same God is reaching out to all people everywhere to heal and bring healing to their life, to have a relationship with them, not because he has to, but because he wants to. It's an amazing God. Jesus in living color before this man. A couple years ago, my son was playing t-ball and I was holding our daughter and we're just sitting in the stands um, watching him play and recording videos that will never be watched again. And I'm holding her and all of a sudden I hear this and it's coming from her. And what followed was an amount of vomit that quite frankly, was impressive. It was shocking. It was a mixture of, oh no, and also, I, you must, every fluid in your body must have exited at the same time, because this, how can two feet tall person have so much? And it all went covering to me. I mean, it was, it was to the point where, true story, a total stranger, after seeing me just covered in all this, comes up and gives me his shirt, because he's like, hey, you need this more than I do. Take this. <laughs> And in that moment, I'm going, oh man, I feel, oh, I hate that you feel so bad. And I'm also hoping that I'm not going to soon be feeling so bad because of this. And I'm holding my daughter and I'm also like, oh man, this is, I just really don't want to get this. And so let's not get too close and trying to change and not get too many of the germs. And I, I love her to death, but all oh, this is, oh man. I think, sadly, that idea of, man, I love you, I just don't want to get too close, or I'm kind of, oh, this is gross. In my experience, a lot of Christians, when they think about God, if they were honest, there's part of their heart that thinks that that's kind of how God is towards them. He's a father that's, man, I love you, and I would die for you, but man, I'm kind of just disgusted by you. That I'm kind of repulsed by you. The things that are in your life that you're doing make me disgusted by you. The truth is scripture, God hates sin because it hurts people, but he loves people. And just like leprosy doesn't push him away, sin doesn't push him from wanting a relationship with them. And he wants you to experience freedom and healing, and he alone can bring that in. But that doesn't keep him from wanting to have a relationship with you, from wanting to move towards you because he's a God who stretches out and touches lepers and broken people just because he wants to. It's in his very nature. Curse that infects us is sin, Christ alone can cure, and Christ is a God 
that as you see him in living color is full of compassion towards you. I'll land the plane and go back to where we all started because it's a very interesting thing how this whole account takes place. Remember Jesus, we're told, goes up the mountain. He goes and teaches. At the end of that, he comes down the mountain and has this exchange. He comes down the mountain. What an interesting moment. What a parallel for what Jesus is like. We live in a world that says what every major world religion other than Christianity teaches. You need to earn your way up the mountain of religion to God. If you wanna go to heaven, you wanna have eternal life, You need to do good things and climb your way up the mountain. You need to go to church or you need to go to temple. You need to pray a certain amount of times. You need to have more good deeds in your life than bad deeds or you will not make it up the mountain to God. And Christianity teaches and Jesus shows us. Our God comes down the mountain. He doesn't wait for humanity to work their way up. He's a God who knows that they could never on their own, I could never, you could never earn our way, be good enough, be capable of reaching and getting to him on our own. But we don't have to is the good news because Jesus comes down the mountain just like he did 2,000 years ago with that man. He has been doing towards every person who's ever lived to bridge the gap so that every person can have a relationship with him, can experience freedom from sin in their life. He's a God who comes down the mountain. And my guess is in this room, most of us know that. We've heard that message. We trusted in Jesus. We're so thankful that he came down the mountain. But the good news and privilege for us is now we get the opportunity to go take that message to the world around us. They don't know that message. They don't know that Jesus has come down the mountain, is not waiting for them to climb and work their way towards him. He's not a God who's saying, if only you would try a little bit harder and you work around people every single day at your office, you live in apartment complexes and I live in streets with neighbors who don't know that message. And now we get the chance to go into a world that thinks I need to work my way to God. Say, our God comes down the mountain. He did so on a cross to die for your sin and my sin. Not so that you could be good, so that you could know God. That leads to change by his spirit, but that's not how you have a relationship with God. And we get to now take that message to the streets and the world around us. There is a God who wants a relationship with every person to the point that he wouldn't just touch lepers. He would die on a cross to pay for every sin, and he would rise again to show that payment was more than enough. What an amazing privilege. Maybe you're in the room and you never have heard that before. You never have trusted in that. And the invitation for you and the reason why you're here is because God came down that mountain for you, wants a relationship with you and gave his life for you. And you like All of us who know Jesus and like this lover now have been invited to just say, God, I I surrender. I I can't. You alone can save me. Leprosy is a parallel for our sin. One of the final ways we know that is 
Every time a leper's life is changed, they don't say he's healed. They say he's cleansed. It's the same word that 1 John chapter 1 says, if we confess our sins, acknowledge our sin, he is faithful and just by trusting in Christ to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a cure. And we who know that cure now go share that with a world that is in need of it. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.